Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is episode 66 of the Questions Podcast. Last week, we um, failed to record, so this week we're back with episode 66, and we're doing a kind of remote location. Mark, you're coming to us over FaceTime. Are you there? I am here. I'm as here as it gets, man. Do you have any cold-blooded love today? Um, I probably have all the cold-blooded love for you and me. Well, that's good. You know? I'm going to try and bring some spiritual minty freshness to the discussion. Think, we'll save me, Miles. Save me with some I, minty yeah, freshness. I wish I could. I wish, I wish I had something to add to this on the spiritual minty freshness indicator. I think maybe last week I may have subconsciously not wanted to do the podcast because I didn't know if I had any spiritual minty freshness. I've been it trying to stockpile. It, it, it has nothing to do with what's been in the news currently, does it? Well, you know, in the news... Um, yeah. That once upon a time, for like weeks on end, there was nothing in the news but coronavirus. And then we added to the news um, uh, race relations and all that, all that jazz. So, so now that's, it's just stereo. We have one side coronavirus and one side race relations in America. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and it's gotten to that point where you can't say anything about either one. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I, I think that that's yeah. probably wise. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a verse on that in the Proverbs about keeping and holding your peace and uh, being quiet. I think it's in uh, Proverbs that, 18. Right. Proverbs, Proverbs 18? 24 says a little bit about it too, I think. So. Let's see here. Where is that passage in Proverbs 18? There's, there's a lot of it in Proverbs in general. But I'm, I'm looking for the one that says that even a fool is thought wise when he holds his peace. Maybe that's Proverbs 17. Yeah, there it is, the end of Proverbs 17. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. So um, I have decided to just kind of hold my peace on this, even though I've got all kinds of opinions, um, which um, can be a challenge because there's this kind of compulsion if you will to say something and now everything gets said in social media well and then the other challenge uh in it is is you can get misquoted by people who have you know ill intent yeah just 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 a bit of your conversation can be taken out so yeah i think it's time to pray is what it is that's a great thing if you're going to talk to anybody talk to god exactly because I'll tell you what, this was no surprise to him. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think yeah. it's probably wisdom to just bring your your issues, your complaints, your frustrations to Jesus and pray about them. Probably be better. But yeah, so I've been trying to hold my peace, and that's part of the reason why there hasn't been as much of a podcast. Yeah. You know, I think it's really super, super interesting that, you know, the Lord gave you kind of a word, we'll say, mm-hmm. for 2020. Yeah. And I, pretty prophetic for a guy who doesn't, you know, I'll never hear the prophet Miles. Yeah, and I don't generally say, thus saith the Lord or the Lord told me. But no, I, no, I did no. have a very strong sense at the end of 2019 that 2020 would be a year of chaos. Right. It has not and let me down. Exactly. And then my word for the year was eternity. Set your mind on things above. Exactly. And so that, that was burned into my heart you know, pretty early on. And I was, 
I was actually thinking about eternity even before you called me to preach on it, which was, was interesting, but I had been really, God had been burning a hole in my heart on that one. So um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I, you know, I read, uh, I sent it to you the other day, Proverbs 24. Yes. And what and, was it, what was it in Proverbs 24 that caught your attention? Well, it, it, it was the whole thing, how it addressed so many things. Uh, but wisdom, just how, how just how sweet wisdom is and uh just the fact that in the end i think one of the things that people get keyed up about is um you know there's a lot of injustice out there uh-huh. and I, I do i do believe as christians we we need you know to fight injustice uh with it, but we need to know the facts but uh be obviously we want to be just people because we want to be like god we we want to love justice also mm-hmm. uh but godly justice, and uh, I, I, I see that we can get in a lot of trouble trying to exact our own type of justice. Uh, wisdom is, is something we need to seek in that, and so, uh, yeah, anyway, that's a, that's a, old Solomon, he had something to say about all this. Yeah, he, I, you know, I think sometimes Solomon learned wisdom the hard way, like a lot of people, but um, he had some good things that that he had to share. Like Proverbs 17, 1, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Right. And uh, in uh, uh, Proverbs 24, it says, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. And uh, I, I do, I've had a, a very great opportunity. Maybe not everybody's had that opportunity. Is I've actually been able to kind of sit in the council of people that have a lot of wisdom. And uh, it is kind of funny in Scripture because um, a lot of times their houses really are, I know this is figurative, but their houses really are full of a lot of pleasant things. They they tend to do really well for themselves, uh, because uh, the next part of the verse goes into um, closing your mouth at the right time, mm-hmm. which which I'm not great at. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, we definitely you and me have uh, gotten ourselves into trouble in the past. I think we've we've learned to wisely keep our mouths shut by by in the past maybe speaking too quickly. I think it's a yeah. it's a man thing for sure. It can be. Well, I think we want to fix stuff. Mm, very true. So you know, and uh, uh, I've always said marriage is not there to make you happy. Marriage is there to make you holy. There is and a refining process that takes place in marriage. Yes, there is. We get to think. We get to find out how somebody else thinks, and we don't have the option to go. Nah, I'm just going to discount that. I'm out. So boom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. Boom. Drop the mic. That's a good way to end up with no dinner. Very true. And so and we don't like a day without dinner. No. Heck no. Or dessert. Man, oh man. And that's Real. all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. The world I, the world needs Jesus. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. I know you've encouraged the 
uh, congregation and even the staff to like, you know, get off of social media, get out of the news. And I've never really been a big news hound anyway. I am. Um, I have a problem with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're a researcher. That's the problem. Like you're one of the few people I know that actually go and read academic papers and things on that stuff. And I'm like, I, 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 all you have to do is tell me it's an academic paper and what college it's from, and I'm mad already. So I don't even go into it with an open mind, okay? And so uh, I can't help myself. I know, I know. So I, you kind of do the, I let you do that for me. I appreciate that. And then I send you text messages. Have you seen this? Oh my goodness! Right, and uh, then and then my and then my wife will go, what, what? I go, nothing, honey. Don't worry. It's all going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. So. I don't do, It seems like there's some people who want the world to end. I was uh, reminded of the movie The Dark Knight uh, with uh, the Batman movie because Batman, oh, yeah. he is the best superhero around. Uh, what's his superpower, Mark? He's rich. There you go. Um, but so in the second Batman movie of the Dark Knight series is where the Joker, the nutty Joker, and um, Alfred, the butler, he makes just this one line. Some men just want uh, to see the world burn. And and I think that's true. I think there are some people that that's their aim is just to see the world burn. Yeah, it's um I think that's hard for people to believe. And I think all you have to do is be around one or two people in your life that you, you meet and they're that are completely devoid of the Holy Spirit. They don't have those normal checks that people have in their in their um, would we say that maybe soul. their, their, uh, conscience has been seared as with a hot iron or, or a hot glue gun or something, but yeah, yeah. no, I mean, you know, and you, you start to, if you've ever had a conversation with them, well, your first thought is, wow, this person's really crazy, but all the things that normally would keep a normal person in check boundaries, uh, murder, saying certain things, doing certain things, they're just not there. Right. And but some people, that's their deal, and we have to realize that. And uh, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, in my in my youth, I worked on boats and ships, fishing boats. And I always thought it was, to me, something that I can work on a boat with. I've worked with murderers and rapists, forgers, um, gosh, uh a guy who owned a pornography shop, um, uh, people that have been in every kind of jail and situation and bad things happen to them and, and things happen to them. Then on top of that, people from every part of the globe, of every nationality and every background, because boats tend to be a melting pot for that sort of thing. But one of the things that really caught me, and I, I keep reflecting on this, is when you're on a boat, you had a common cause. Uh, whether it be you needed to make money uh, so everybody had to get along and make things work well so they could all make money because they were all there for the same reason. Or the other one was is if there was a really powerful storm and there was the real potential, and there's a real potential in Alaska, that that boat would sink and everybody would die within five minutes. Yeah. And uh, that, But that common cause or common enemy, as it were, the ocean – it has an incredibly powerful, it, it is the only thing I have seen other than the gospel of Jesus Christ to unite people. And I, I think uh, 
Military, I, military service does that too. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a bit of a melting pot, but having that common cause. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think one of the challenges in America right now is, uh, spiritually and then even, uh, nationally, I don't know that we all have the same common cause right now. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I, I think I shared this a little bit. I'm not sure if it was last week's message or the week before uh, it was the week before because it was on Pentecost Sunday and I was talking about the verse in Acts 1 where they were all in one place with one accord and how in this season that we have been in, uh, the church is not in one place because we're not gathered together on Sunday mornings. But even right. worse than that, there's a lot of division in the body of Christ. It, prior to all the things that have happened most recently with the death of George Floyd and Maude Arbery and Breonna Taylor, all that sort of stuff, prior to that, there was the coronavirus thing and, and you had people within the church saying, we need to get back together immediately. And yet other people saying, no, we can't get back together. We need to follow governmental guidelines and Romans 13. And, and then you have this division over that. And then you have a division over all the, the racial stuff that's going on in the country too. So there's just, there is a lot of division. And one of the points from the message this last week is that when there is division in the nation, it'll lead to conflict. And I see that as one of those, those uh, cycles where it's like, Division leads to conflict, which leads to more division, which leads to more conflict, which leads to more division. Unless there is something that stops that cycle, it spirals out of control really quickly. Uh, of all the all of the stuff that's going on, and there's different aspects. What's the most troubling thing to you as a a, a pastor and a person? I know there's 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 two things that particularly trouble me, but well, I don't like to see the division within the body of Christ in a big way. Um, because I do think that ultimately the best answer for the problems of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you can divide the church to where there is not an agreement on what the, the best way forward on these things is, then uh, the verse that was coming to my mind the other day is, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And, and so you have this problem when there's division within the body of Christ and when there's division within families, which I'm seeing a lot. I've talked with a lot of people in our church where oh, yeah. um, there's pretty extreme division within their families over issues that are going on right now. So, so I think those two major divisions, it kind of goes up from there and the whole of the culture can destabilize. And here's the concern that I've had in this. You and I have talked a little bit about this and I've had some conversations with some family members about this too. Um, when I was mentioning to you at the beginning of the year or the end of last year that I thought this would be a year of chaos, one of the concerns is I don't think we realize how quickly quickly things can destabilize. And all you have to do is go back and read a little bit of history. Go read the history of, you know, just 100 years ago uh, during the time leading up to the First World War. And you realize, man, the, the world that can seem so strong and everything's moving in the right direction can destabilize very quickly when division leads to conflict and conflict leads to more division and spirals out of control. So what is the thing that is able to come in and, and stop that? Ultimately, as a, as a believer in the Bible and as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor, I think the gospel is the most effective answer to that. But um, yeah, there's a lot of noise in the system right now. Okay, so you're, you're thinking that division in the church is probably the most troubling. Division within the church and within the families, yeah. Yeah, I... I, I would agree with you. That's a that's a big problem. I um, it has bothered me um, with some of the leadership of churches, some of the things that have been done and said. Uh, 
um, that they seem more focused on likes and popularity and, you know, uh, shares than they really are on biblical standards and principles in trying to fix the problem. And it's a challenge. I want to call the guy out, you know, call him up and call him out. Right. And, and that wouldn't, I don't know that that would lead to any unity. So, but I, I think having me, been would, the guy who has tried to do that, it just doesn't. No, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it talk about, you know, they say, don't grab a dog by the ears. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, somebody said something about a house divided itself. You cannot yeah, stand. Yeah, there was something about that. that. Yeah, and then also yeah. another passage about don't cast your pearls before swine. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I think one of the overarching thing that really bothers me about everything that we're seeing out there uh, in this this time is uh, I tend to want to give counsel and make things better and right again. You know, like if I can take a couple in my office and get them to a place of agreement where they can start to work that out or two men that are enemies and be a peacemaker in that, because there's a part of me that wants to be a peacemaker because I know that that's an attribute of God. And I think that's really close to God's heart, particularly those in the church. And so I want to be a peacemaker. But the, the hard thing is, is you can't even have a conversation because we can't even agree what all, all the words mean. Yeah, you know, uh, I, that's such a you know, good that, point. Go ahead. That, it, it, it's hard to have a conversation and to settle everything if we can't even even have a set of five words that we agree on what they mean. And it's, it's, it's like it, it shifts. And then the other thing that's really hard is there's something that's spiritual to it because it's— it, it's, it can be so mean-spirited. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I want this thing to mean this, and this person over on this side says, well, I want this thing to mean this. And so there's no standard or rules uh, that anybody's paying attention to. We know that there's a biblical standard, but it, it is really hard to negotiate a contract, uh, bring peace to a meeting, uh, you know, come to a business agreement, all those things, if you can't agree on just basic right. principles and that's what we're seeing, and that's really it. I, if I did not have Christ, I would be a very hopeless person right now. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I'm one. I like to I like to have um, debates, discussions with people, and uh, engage in conversations in those ways. But you're right. When you start out with any sort of debate, debate or discussion, you do need to define your terms. Like, what is the agreed-upon definition? And I think it's some of these things right now that's just impossible to find even an agreed-upon definition for a number of things that are going on. Um, and then the other thing is, like, I have a tendency to try and, you know, for good and for bad, to very much give people the benefit of the doubt and, um, you know, assume the best and assume the best intentions on people's part. And um, I think when you see division between people who had been close or friends, a lot of times um, they're not giving each other that benefit of the doubt or assuming the best on the front end. And um, it's not helpful. Well, how many times over the course, just as pastors, have we gotten letters or phone calls or gossip about something we've done or said that was either taken out of context or this person had it preloaded in their mind what they thought we were talking about, and they were ready to go to the mat on this. I mean, you know, just, and they were completely wrong. 
And, and so, yeah, it's really important to, to have, give a person the benefit of the doubt or hear it from their own mouth, so to speak first, whatever it is. And, uh, uh, cause you know, I, I can funnel the, you know, throw the cast shadow over something and make something look like bad intentions, anything, uh, under the right circumstances and make that work, you know, for myself, nobody else around me would maybe, you know, they might not put it together, but for myself and, and how many people have you seen over the years that are absolutely convinced they're right. And it's like nobody, when they know the whole story could, you know, agree with that. So it's spiritual. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. There's, there's definitely a spiritual oppression in the moment of things that are going on. And you add to it. I, I'm absolutely convinced that when you, um, kind of confine everybody to quarters, shall we say, for an extended period of time, 80-some days at this point, and, um, and not expect or anticipate that things kind of blow up on the other side, um, well, you're just, you're just kind of foolish if you don't think that that's going to lead to some trouble. So it's definitely kind of like gasoline on a fire. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think of it in my head as like, you know, if you took a Coke and you shook it for 60 days, some, when somebody opens that up, they're going to get a surprise. And that's, I, that's definitely, it seems like, you know, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say this was tailor made, uh, for the situation. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, that's a, I mean, as of a, this moment, as we're recording this on Friday, June 12th, it is 85 days from the, um, original lockdown in California on March 19th. Yeah. That's a long time. Wow. I, I don't know if this has been happening to you because I, you know, I definitely interact with quite a few people, but um, I've been getting a lot of opportunities. Uh, the other day, I was a half hour sh- late for our meeting. Uh, I had the opportunity to share um, the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, um, and uh, they're not a believer, and but members of their family are really struggling with certain things. And part this is this this environment or this Coke can that's been getting shaken up has caused them to reach out and look for something, someone to fix it. And so it, it's been really cool to have the opportunity to share the hope that lies within me because of Jesus Christ and the confidence in that. Because people are like, dude, you don't look that bugged about this. And it's like, well, I'm concerned, but I'm not afraid. Well, and I mean, you I know? think that, you know, one of the one of the key values for us and our ministry has been we want everything that we do to be done with joy because we have an optimistic vision of the future so ultimately the things that we go through right now we recognize as temporary this goes back to your whole word on eternity that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us and we're in the midst of momentary light affliction and uh, we'll have an eternal weight of glory so so i mean it is it is disconcerting and frustrating to see the things that are happening within the body of Christ, within families, within the nation and in the world. But ultimately it should push us. I would hope it would push us as pastors, as Christians to be more ambitious in sharing the good news of the gospel, which brings joy and peace and hope. So all of that good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I had something weird happen today. I don't know if it was weird, well, it was it was weird because I I you know you and I are always a little freaked out when people say God starts talking to him right yes so 
I'm leaving the parking lot at Costco, and I'm in my red exterior that my Which wife Which is where God right? speaks, Costco. Absolutely. Well, it's where all the great meat is. We got Henry there. <laughs> so I saw Henry back there, you know, cutting up meat for the masses. And so we left uh, Costco, and I, had, I pulled out of the parking space, and I had this weird thought. It was like, man, I sure hope we don't get run into again. Because uh, last year I was in a car accident. Somebody ran into me at a stoplight. Moving pretty good. And we were fine. Uh, the old Xterra wasn't, you know, it took the brunt of the, uh, the, the deal, but it didn't get totaled out. They fixed it. And so um, we were two minutes out of the Costco parking lot and uh, at a stoplight. And boom, I got hit by two cars at the same time. Like, how does that happen? And the, I'm getting to the spiritual part because I don't want to seem overly spiritual in this. But after we made sure everybody was okay and we're doing the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the insurance things and all that, and I'm talking to the, you know, these two cars hit me, pushed me forward. I kind of tapped the car in front of me, and we did all the insurance stuff, and we went and. And I'm like, well, you know, it's nice to meet you. And the lady's name, I says, I, I wish we could have met under different terms, but hey, have a great day, you know. And uh, she kind of looked at me like, wow, you're being friendly. And uh, I'm like, hey, this is what we pay insurance for. You're okay, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm great. So we did her stuff and she left. And then I think the other two people expected me to be really angry with them. But it's interesting how you can defuse a situation by just going, hey, are you okay? And the guy's like, you know, I'm really, really sorry. I go, yeah, I'm sure you're really, really sorry. But you know what? Hey, this is why we have insurance. And like, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you out? You're having a tough time here. And the same thing with the, the you know, the gal was part of it. And it, it's, it, it was great to have the peace of the Lord and just be able to minister to other people. I mean, in my book, and when there's an accident and everybody's okay, the rest of it's just property. Like, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're probably going to total out the exterior. And I'm like, bummer, oh, man, I got to, yeah. I, I got to, I like that car, but, but you know, it's an old car. Yeah. But I'm like, oh man, but I don't want to complain because everybody who got in that car walked out of that car. Right. So it's a, you know, we, we were witness I, to one heck of an accident yesterday. Dude, that was, she did. I think my best count was three flips. Yeah. That car, that car did some spinning. Yeah. So, um, everybody I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and boy, our fire department got there fast. Well, and our police department. The church is right next door to the fire department, so that's good. We had an accident, right. for those who are listeners, right out off of uh, El Norte and Seven Oaks at the church yesterday afternoon. So accidents yeah. happen there what? What would you say? Once or twice a month at least? Oh, at least. And they're bad ones. Yeah. That, that intersection is terrible. One of the worst in Escondido. That's why we're adopting the park and ride to cut all the bushes down so people can see, see yeah. there. So yeah. anyway, cause you know, anyway, yeah, just crazy days. It's always good to be thankful. Well, with all that, should we go to some questions? I'm sure. Do we have any burning questions? Yeah, we got, we got a few. Let's see. I want to hear them. Uh, number one, what? Numero is, uno for our Spanish speaking friends. What is the meaning of Isaiah 62 verse six? What are, or who are the watchmen so we would have to go to Isaiah 62 and get some context. Verse 1 says, I will not keep silent because of Zion. 
I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. Nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. You will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God. You will no longer be called deserted. And your land will not be called desolate. Instead, you will be called, my delight is in her. And your land will be married. For the Lord delights in you. Groovy. And your land will be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And a groom rejoices as a groom rejoices over his bride. So your God will rejoice over you. Jerusalem. Verse 6. I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. There is no rest for you who remind the Lord. So, who... Go ahead. There's a lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. This is prophetic looking forward from Isaiah's day. Okay, because Isaiah's calling her a she, and any woman with a burning torch has got my full attention. (laughs) Just saying. You know, I mean, you know, wow. Yeah, don't mess with her. So God here, through the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel at a pretty distressing time in Israel's history. Um, They had just come out of a really challenging time, and they were facing an even more challenging time, because when Isaiah wrote this, this was after Israel had just experienced the onslaught of the Assyrians during the 8th century BC, and the Assyrians have just recently destroyed the northern ten tribes when Isaiah 62 happens when Isaiah receives this word from the Lord. And the, the nation of Assyria not only destroys the northern ten tribes and they become the lost tribes of Israel, but almost completely destroys the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And they destroyed more than 40 cities. I think it was 42 walled cities were destroyed in the nation of Judah during that period of time. And only one city was spared, the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem was spared after it had been sieged for a long period of time by Assyria's armies under King Sennacherib. And then God miraculously protected the people of Jerusalem. And the angel of the Lord came and destroyed 185,000 of Sennacherib's armies in one night. That's all described in Isaiah 36 through 39. Okay, if we ever play Bible Jeopardy, yes, can you please do that? Ask the question, how many cities were destroyed so that I can say 42. the answer is 42? Is yeah, I'm, I, I'm living to say that. I'm doing this from memory. I'm like 95% sure it was 42 cities in Judah were destroyed. And, and you wow. would like the number 42 because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Exactly. The there answer is 42. The answer is 42. It always is 42. Now, wasn't um, do you remember the movie Ben-Hur? Yes. Wasn't he Roman number 42? You might be right. Now I have to go watch that. I'm pretty sure when he was in the slave ship as an oarsman, I think he was oarsman number 42. I could be wrong. Didn't they? They called him Judah Ben-Hur. Judah Ben-Hur. That's right. Now, that was Charlton Heston. That was Charlton Heston. Now, that was when he, that was in his like prime heyday. Okay. But was Charlton Heston Jewish? I, you know what? Aren't a lot of people in Hollywood Jewish? Well, they are, but I'm just saying that, I mean, I'm just throwing this out because, I mean, he played a great Ben-Hur. Yeah, 
And then, you know, he didn't do so bad at Moses. Okay, I, he was an Episcopalian. Charlton Heston. Oh, well, he played it like a Jew. He may have been an Episcopalian, but he played it like a Jew. He was good. Ben-Hur is a great movie, but back to the back to the point. Can um, we have a chariot race at Cross Connection sometime? We're going to need a lot more room than we have at Seven Oaks Road. Yeah. That would right. be fun. So... Um, there were 42 cities destroyed. Jerusalem was spared. 185,000 killed in one night by the, uh, by the angel of the Lord. And then Sennacherib split. He left. And Hezekiah, who was the king during that time, you know, things got a little bit better. But a prophecy comes in Isaiah 39 that um, even though they were spared from the Assyrians, uh, in about a generation and a half, about 150 years later, they would be destroyed by the Babylonians. So they just went through a really rough time with the Assyrians and what they have to look forward to is more rough times ahead, which if you, if you lived in Jerusalem at that time, that would be kind of a bummer thing to hear and not so good. But Isaiah yeah. 62 is a prophecy of a coming day when things will be better. So there's a, a future outlook that is good because the Messiah is going to come and God's going to bring a restoration to Zion, to the land of Israel, to Jerusalem. And then he gives this exhortation in verse six and seven, Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen on your walls. They will never be silent day or night. There is no rest for you who remind the Lord. Do not give him rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. So the common view on this passage here is that the watchmen are those who are praying. Kind of like what, is it uh, Psalm 122? Is Psalm 122 the passage that says pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Yep. So that, that there is going to be a perpetual prayer being lifted up to the Lord for his restoration. Now, we would say the ultimate restoration that's going to come to Jerusalem is the new Jerusalem that will come at the end of the book of Revelation. So we are still praying for the Lord to come and fulfill this prayer. We do not give the Lord rest. We pray persistently until he comes and restores. And the Prince of Peace comes and brings peace to Jerusalem and to all the earth, which at this moment, looking at all the conflict happening in the world, I would say, come Lord Jesus, come. Even so, come. Yeah, I, you know, Isaiah is kind of like Annie on Broadway. Yeah? Of the prophets. Yeah, the sun will come out tomorrow. Yeah, somewhat. <laughs> he had some you know, pretty yeah. sad things, outlooks. Isaiah 24 oh, is kind I, of a sad one. Yeah, you know, I feel, I feel bad for all the prophets. They had a rough job. I, there's a lot of jobs in the ministry I don't want, and prophet is not one of them. Yeah, they it's, killed the prophets. Yeah, they killed the prophets. Nobody listens prison. to them. They're cranky. Rough time. I mean, yeah. And then they were told to do, they were told to do wacky things. Like, man. Yeah. He, um, Bakes, yeah, what's his well, who's name? Who's the guy who Ezekiel. baked the stuff out of poop? Oh, yeah, it was Ezekiel. Yeah. No matter how you bake it. It's a crappy situation. A poop queue. A poop queue. Yeah, no, it's no good. Yeah, that's that's about, in Ezekiel. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, were they out of wood? I mean, what was the deal? Yeah, they were in they were in Babylon. All right. All right well, I think well, that answers that question. That answers a lot of questions. Okay. Number Next question. two. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we supposed to ask for a new filling periodically? Mark, what say you? I I say you definitely. I'd say when somebody says you're full of it, I say the Holy Spirit, yes, I am. Thank you. Yes. So I Okay, so I tend to believe that there is a distinction that mm -hmm. is indicative of a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
Mm-hmm. And I say that because in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about us all, all Christians, being baptized into the Spirit. And John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one shall come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's Jesus, obviously. Right. He's the one who baptizes us. So Jesus baptizes us with or in the Holy Spirit at the new birth when we are born again. And the Holy Spirit brings regeneration. He makes us new. He makes our dead heart come back to life, revives our spirit, that whole deal. But I do think we need to be perpetually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I say this based on Paul's words in Ephesians 5, where he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word be filled with the Holy Spirit there, it's like a perpetual, a continual, because it's more like be being filled. And I think it was D.L. Moody, I think, who made the comment when asked about, you know, why are you always talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, don't you already have it? Yeah, I leak. I leak. I think it was D.L. Moody who made that comment that, well, I, I, I leak, you know, and yeah, I, I could see that, that sometimes uh, we need a little bit more filling of the Holy Spirit as we uh, encounter the things that are going on in this world. I don't know about you, Mark, but I, I know when I am tired and hungry and stressed and sick, my flesh is a little bit more on the surface, and so I need a little bit more of the Holy Spirit, his power. Yes, hangry. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yes. So, so I think it's because it, there's there has been division in 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 the church over this at times, right. particularly in churches that uh, tend to talk a lot more, place a ton of importance on the gifts, and maybe uh, some uh, overemphasis on the gifts. Um. We come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Spirit leads us there, the Holy Spirit. I think you would agree with that. It is by the Spirit we're saved. We're, we are brought to that point. Uh, the kind of the refilling or maintenance mode that I look at it from a, like even a car thing is, and, and I think it was D.L. Moody talked about, yeah, because I leak. It, it's just, it's almost like, it's just, it's a maintenance thing, so to speak, that from time to time, we need to get back to that place when it was just us and God. So that time of in so many that I'll just say for me, that's getting to a quiet place, praying, uh, centering, spending some time looking and going, yes, you know, my car's got a huge dent in it, but guess what? Everybody's okay. A time of thankfulness, a time of, uh, reflection, uh, a time of kind of recalibration and asking God to fill you with the spirit and, uh, you know, move you along on your mission, so to speak. It's how I would describe it. Yeah. So, so Lord, fill we, us again, fill us again, fresh yeah. and new to overflowing. Yeah. yeah. So I think we nailed that one. I'm just going to say in all humbleness. Yeah, absolutely. We're pretty good at this yeah. whole question thing. We're getting better all the time. Too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, number three, what does it mean to pray in the spirit? Another spirit Ooh. question. Um, I, I think that the connection to this idea of prayer in the Spirit, I think it probably comes from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 14. So I'll read this, Mark, and then uh, maybe you give some thoughts, and I'll give some thoughts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, 
but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not understand what you say, for indeed you gave thanks, you give thanks well, uh, but the other is not edified. So I think that that might be the connection where this idea of praying in the Spirit comes from. I, I can't think of another passage of Scripture where the idea of praying in or with the Spirit comes. So generally think, I, speaking, I think it comes from here. Yeah, I, I know that I heard, I've heard various pastors use that phrase and prayer people use that phrase from time to time. Yeah, so I, I mean, most of the time when I've heard people talk about praying in the Spirit, they seem to be speaking about praying in tongues. Has that right. been your experience too? That is correct. Yeah. So generally speaking, to say what does it mean to pray in the Spirit, I think most of the time I would hear this coming from someone who has a more charismatic or Pentecostal background. And, and, I, and when I say more charismatic, I don't necessarily mean like a hyper-charismatic Pentecostal. I would say like even within Calvary Chapel, that we would generally say that a person who is praying in the Spirit is likely praying in tongues. So that's what I would assume is meant by prayer in the Spirit. At least that's the way I've normally heard it. Right, and I've heard various things attributed to it, that when we're praying in the Spirit, we're declaring victory. It's something that God understands, and uh, it's showing reverence and celebration and all that. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I believe it's in Romans 8 where Paul talks about the Spirit helping us in our weakness in prayers, that um, he enables us to pray according to the Spirit's will. And Paul talks about with groanings, which sometimes people think of as uh, being connected with uh, speaking in tongues. So when I'm talking, when we're talking about speaking in tongues, since we haven't done a lot of talk about speaking in tongues on the Questions podcast or in uh, a lot of our teachings of recent, um, there is a spiritual gift that is mentioned in First Corinthians twelve called the gift of tongues. And those that come from a more Pentecostal or charismatic background, you've heard about this, and maybe you have been encouraged to speak with tongues and prayed to receive the gift of tongues. And generally speaking, the idea of the gift of tongues is seen among more charismatic Christians as a language that might sound like babbling to us or sound like a foreign language to us. So it's a language that we do not know with our own minds, but the Spirit of God is enabling us to speak in a language that we don't know, a spirit of, you know, a tongue of, God, of men or of angels, as First Corinthians 13 talks about. And, uh, but the Spirit knows what it is that we are praying. praying. So that, that's the whole thing of praying in tongues. And Paul clearly prayed in tongues because he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14 that he uh, spoke in tongues more than everybody, he says, <laughs> but not normally uh, publicly unless there was someone who had the gift to interpret what was being prayed, which is also a spiritual gift. Right. And, and uh, uh, typically you're glorifying God when you're doing this is part of, I think, one of the checks, Correct. Yeah, that's generally what you would hear because of what we see in Acts chapter 2 where all the people were filled with the Spirit and they spoke with other tongues and the people who heard them said, we hear them speaking the praises of God in our own languages. So that's why. Right, and it's a part of, uh, that can be quite a cause of division in the church today Big because time. it is something that's manifest itself. I, I think I could probably mention some names and of people that are good pastors uh, good teachers, you'd probably agree, that they have different opinions on it, correct? Yes, absolutely. Like John like, MacArthur uh, um, doesn't believe that the gift of tongues or the spiritual gifts are available or in use today. He, he's what oh. would be called a cessationist. Right. Uh, J. Vernon McGee? I, didn't, I don't know J. Vernon's 
take on this? Yeah, McGee is not big on the gifts. Oh, was he more of a cessationist? I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, I I would have liked to have had a conversation with him as to why, because he's a very right-on teacher. Well, MacArthur, too. I mean, MacArthur's pretty right on a lot of things. There's some things he's off on, like this. Yeah, what what about Piper? Piper is more of a charismatic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, Chuck Smith was more of a charismatic. Absolutely. Uh, Rick Warren? Uh, More of a charismatic. Okay. Not exactly a cessationist. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other famous names out there. Joel Osteen? I would assume that he would be much more of a charismatic. I don't really know Joel's uh, theology on some of these things. I don't know if Joel knows his theology on these things. I don't think he, I, I, he might not even have any theology. It makes it really easy. So that's good. Um, <laughs> We're going to get see. ourselves in trouble. Well, how can, how can we get ourselves in trouble today that has nothing to do with the coronavirus or racism? Let's talk about Joel Osteen. There you go. I mean, come on. That's a big target. There you go. We could do that. Yeah. You know, hey, let's, speaking of target, I didn't have to go there today. Praise God. All right. Um, let's see. Um, should we go to the Miles, next one? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you Miles, want... to Bene- Miles to Benedictus. How, I, where does he stand? I am a continuationist. I am not a cessationist. I believe that the, the gifts of the Spirit are still in use today. Okay, I would agree with you. Is you speaking in tongues privately when you're praying in earnest, is that something you do? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you find, like I do, that if you tend to be drifting in prayer or having trouble focusing that if you take the time uh, to pray like that, it tends to focus you and center you. Yes. Okay. I would. I would agree that that I'm saying that because that's how I feel about it. And that's been my own personal experience. I'm very. Maybe I'm a big fat chicken, but I'm very cautious about speaking in tongues in front of other people. I uh, so for myself, I would say I've only been in maybe two, three at most uh, very small believers meetings with other groups of pastors generally where uh, I've seen that done well. I've seen it done really not well. But... Uh, yeah. yeah. It, 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 and I, I, I would agree with that, and I've actually seen it firsthand not done well, and to the point where people in the room thought they were not saved or second-class Christians. Right. And so... After I had that experience, it caused me, I was not a pastor Mm. at the time, I was a young Christian. After I had that experience, I tried, uh, I felt like I needed to stay away from that because it brought so much division. It was like a lightning rod. And uh, probably in a way that was unhealthy, I stayed away from it. But anyway. I agree with that. Yeah. So. Um, Should we go to number four? Let's see. Here. Surely. I have heard we should pray about something once and then leave it alone. I've also heard that we should persevere in prayer until the Lord answers. What are your thoughts on this? I'm going to toss that to you, Mark, first. Wow. Um, well, I mean, I think we have the example where the woman where it was kind of almost like a parable where she comes before the king again and again and again, and because of her persistence the king grants her prayer right so let's take an instance that i'm i don't have firsthand knowledge from my own children but other children i you know i've seen parents where or let's say a spouse i I actually have a friend of mine who is a very godly man but his spouse is not a believer 
uh, he continues to pray every day that his wife would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think that shows two things. I think it does one thing. One, it shows God how serious and how important it is to us. And we already know it's important to God. And it's showing our faithfulness and our belief and our trust that God can rectify that situation and that we haven't given up trying to be an example. But I think the second thing is it also centers us to we we exercise faith and faithfulness in prayer. And so it's not just, it's more than nagging God. Um, And I have seen the faithful prayer of a righteous man avail many times, and women. Um, I had a friend, the guy who led me to Christ, had a cranky old guy for a dad, and his dad got saved in his mid to late 80s, and he was an old construction contractor guy that ran big jobs. And at the, he wasn't on his deathbed or anything. He was still functioning and running around and wanting to work. But he was, through example, with Christians, good example, he gave his life fully and completely. But a big part of that was every time I remember praying with this guy, he always prayed for his dad. And mm-hmm. I mean, I knew his dad. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, snowball, chance. Have you been to hell lately? It ain't going to happen, right? I wanted it to happen, but I just, this guy would just seem so far gone. And you've read the statistics on age, on, you know, after you've hit a certain age, the statistics of people coming to Christ uh, tend to go down. Yeah. And so, I mean, this guy is a lotto ticket million to one. And I was so thankful that he came to Christ. I, so. You know, and it's, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, just as kind of a sideline to this specific question, um, I think that sometimes that statistic has kept some Christians back from being a little bit more persistent in sharing the gospel with their older family members. And I say this having seen in the last three years or so a, a transformation in some very close family members of mine that I would not have anticipated. And Well, the vase. What's that? The vase thing we do. Yeah, Where yeah, we put absolutely. all the, the names in the vase. I think that's awesome. Yeah, and seeing direct answer to those prayers for some close family members of mine that you, do, you just look at it and you go, there were times where I thought to myself, yeah, they'll never come to the Lord. And then seeing them when we once upon a time in, in years gone by uh, used to actually go to church and sit in the building where, um, where I would actually see them you know, there <laughs> sitting at church and you just go, man, that is a direct answer to prayer. So I think you're right. I think that persistent prayer is very important. And whoever asked this question, uh, I think that they might find this weekend's um, message to be important on this topic because we actually are going to talk exactly about this specific thing about persistence in prayer. But the title of the question is going to be when God says no. Ooh. So um, so that's a challenging thing because I do think, and one of the points from this upcoming weekend's message, this is kind of like a little uh, spoiler spoiler alert, um, one of the points is going to be on this very specific thing about persistence in prayer. So tune in Sunday morning at 9 o'clock because uh, we're going to be talking about this for sure. Cool. And I think uh, I even mentioned the passage uh, that you bring up, Mark, about being persistent in prayer. Oh, there you go. And, you know, I was just talking with Pastor Jason yesterday about a similar topic to this. Remember the story about the Syrophoenician woman where uh, 
Jesus goes with the disciples way up into the north near um, Tyre and Sidon. And there's a woman who comes to him and begs for him to heal her daughter. And he doesn't even pay any attention to her. And then his disciples even say, Lord, tell her to go away. She's kind of embarrassing us. And, um, you know, he finally does talk with her and tells her, I have not come except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the scraps from the children's table. And then he, as she persists, and she shows her great faith in her persistent prayer. He he answers her prayer. Are you going to explain that a little bit on Sunday? No, I didn't even bring it up. I think Pastor Jason might be talking about it in his message next weekend. Oh, cool. Fantastic. Because yeah. there's a lot there culturally. Oh, yeah. There's big some time. great stuff. Big, big, big time. And then, um, but the second part of that question said something about, you know, is it some, are there situations where you just pray for it once and you leave it alone? There are definitely some parts where I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm praying about this, and I'm just going to trust you in this. I'm going to say it once and let it go. You know, here here you go. This is you. I trust you in this, and I don't – you heard me. You see the situation. You know, break the wrist, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you say that in the instances where you have sensed that is what you need to do, have you sensed it from the perspective of, I think the Lord's answered this and I'm just going to let it go. Or is it kind of like, I'm not going to pray about it anymore because, you know, God, it's in your hands. Um, I think it's more the first. It's, okay. uh, uh, well, it, it, well, I'm going to say both. Cause here, sometimes the situation is like, this is no surprise to you, Lord. I'm mm. praying about this cause I want to see the miracle in this or this miracle or, or whatever the situation getting resolved is important, but I want to see this. I, this is great. This is. A, I want you to know that I think this is important too. Right. And I want to. I want to walk through you in this story. And other times, I'm like, it's just like you know, you got this, and I'm just going to trust you. I don't need to tell you what to do. You know what my heart is now. But I yeah. think it's just well, God. I'm. I'm just affirming and saying, hey, God, this is my heart in this. Uh, and it's as much as me just confirming. I think just. I want to just, God, you're going to go ahead. You're going to do what you do, but I'm trusting you in this. It, but I'm not going to, I don't want anybody to mistake that for a lackadaisical, I really don't care attitude, because that's not what God's looking for out of this. I don't believe uh, we should care for others in situations. Yeah, I think in in one respect, it's not even that at all. It's just saying, Lord, I trust you, and you're you're in control of this, and I'm going to leave it in your hands. And that's a that's a good place to be, because you can be at peace. You just say, "Hey, it's not, exactly. it's not my thing, Lord. It's in your hands." I know when right. we were when we were preparing to buy the house that we're in right now. You know, we had prayed, and Lord, do you want us to move forward on this? And it seemed like all the doors were opening, and um, so everything was moving along. And then our old house sold, and we're out of our old house, and we're technically homeless for like you know, well, I don't know, forty eight hours or some crazy thing like that. And, uh, and then we hit some, some roadblocks on the financing, as a lot of people do with a current house. Right. And you just go, Lord, it's in your hands. I'm going to let you deal with it. I'm just going to trust you. And there was a, a massive amount of peace in the midst of that. Because it's like, well, it's in the hands of the Lord. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, uh, well, and, and go ahead. You are where you are spiritually, because if you were too wrapped up in that house, like you're willing to do anything to get it, yeah. Oh, that that's not a healthy place to be. Yeah, because you know, if you chase a deal hard enough, odds are you'll catch yeah. it. 
Uh-oh, our signal. I'm losing yeah, you. Yeah, what's I don't, don't lose me, man. It's your Wi-Fi. Talk to me, Goose. Talk I'm to I'm me. here. I'm here. Yeah. Well, it's you Obi-Wan know, Kenobi on my Wi-Fi. And so we we need your help, Obi-Wan. All right, good. Yeah. I think you're I think you're okay for now. Oh, good. I was fading. You were. I was like Michael J. Fox in uh, That's right. Back to the Future. I was I was just thinking about Back to the Future yesterday. Something uh, in I my just, neighborhood. I, something in my neighborhood triggered me and I thought about Back to the Future, Marty McFly. Yeah. Have your kids seen that movie? Okay. Um, I turned it on one day, and I realized that, you know, some of those movies from the 80s, they, they have some things that take you by surprise, and you go, ooh, yes. ooh, maybe my kids shouldn't watch this. There's one or two scenes in there I go, man, probably don't want the kids to watch that. Yeah. So, so no, they haven't seen it yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what was the next question? I think we're or, I think we're done for today. We only had that four. was it. We had four. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, so maybe we should know let people know what they're missing on the questions podcast. They need to send us send us your questions. We need more questions. Exactly. Uh, or maybe we've just answered every question that there is that needs to be answered. Forty two. There you go. Mark, do you have any final words? Live long and prosper. All right, Spock. Thank you so much. You know, Spock, he's Jewish. He is. Yeah. All right. And Adam Sandler. O.J. Simpson. Rod Carew. Yeah. But Rod Carew. Yes, guess who is? Hall of Famer, Rod Carew. He converted. Yeah. All right. There you go. Well, we hope to see you all online this Sunday, 9 a.m. The service premieres on Sunday morning. And send us your questions, 760-814-1223. God bless you all. Until next time. We're watching. Oh, we are. All right. God bless you all. See you later.